I don't know how to end conversations. You what? I can open. I can maintain. Oh, you can open, but you can't close? No, I just, it just kind of ends. <laughs> They're like, all right. <laughs> just trails off. You're like, oh, look, over there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, mute yourself until we call you on. If you're lucky enough to get called on. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You know what would be kind of cool, though, guys? If I just every now and then randomly jumped in and met, like, it'd be the guest who keeps popping in, like the unexpected. I'm uninvited. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, no, you're both fired. I'm doing this podcast by myself and I'm going to talk about cheese and baseball. This is ultimately what his goal was, actually. Well, because, you know, cheese and baseball cards is, I'm sure, something you'd totally want to produce if you. Oh, my God. Yes. Just sink my teeth into that. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to know what I would call it? What? The board where we talk about cheese boards and cardboard. God. You guys can't see me, but I'm pulling an arrow back. Like I just nailed it. Target. Wait, is your arrow a nail? It's kind of a whatever. We have a very good guest on today. And he's not just very good because I've known him for 10 years. He's very good because he is a talented filmmaker and he's launched a company that i actually believe in which has never happened before never i don't really believe in no I don't not even it. your own company you don't believe in it's okay 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 it has its moments but he uh i'm gonna read the bio because if i wing it i'll leave something out for sure anyhow his name is jack barrick he is a emmy award-winning filmmaker uh, local Emmy, just noting that. He's going to note it too. So it's okay. But it's still an Emmy. Uh, he's done a number of documentary films, um, but prior to that, he spent 15 years in magazine publishing, the 80s, the the wild, the, the, wild the LA wilds. Yeah. 80s, yes, in Hollywood. <laughs> I believe there were music magazines, arts magazines. He'll have to color that in. He met his co-founder of this new company called Game Change, which he'll also, he'll also pitch himself co-founder and partner Paul McDonald when they collaborated on making A City Divided, which was a documentary about the history of the USC-UCLA football rivalry. I'm not sure where you can see it, but it's very good. And during when they were making that, Paul would share his life advice and his wisdom and his desire to help other people with their struggles, um, especially young people. And those conversations came to fruition and, and would form this new company called Game Change. That's awesome. I have been in many conversations with him in the developments and the pre-launch of this company. And it really is not just a great idea, but they will be, they're going to do very well. Um, Still young, still kind of soft launched, but I wanted to bring him on to talk about not just the company and what they do, but really the kind of the parallels between the arts and, and, and creativity and, and, and how that sort of bleeds over into athletics as an athlete myself. Duly noted. I'm, I'm, I consider myself an athlete now. Since I'm and apparently a world-class pianist somehow. World-class. We'll touch upon that at the end. Okay. Circle back. <laughs> but there is a lot of parallels. I, I endlessly bore my staff uh, or bore our staff with, with, with the parallels. The parallels. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's just so much that can be learned when you do both. Uh, let's bring Jack on. Yeah. This let's. <laughs> Jack Merrick, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> give us the overview of Game Change because I don't, I don't think I, I, I didn't want to attempt at 
pitching it because I, I would probably mangle it. Well, I'll just kind of give you what the idea behind Game Change was because it's still a forming idea in terms of a company is that people who've participated in sports probably have a good idea for how that that participation helps them in the rest of help them in the rest of life. There's so many life lessons that can be learned. Oh yeah. How to overcome be a great teammate, sportsmanship, uh, working toward a goal, how to uh, deal with defeat. So there's all these different things that happen in sports that really can inform the rest of your life. And so that was sort of the genesis of our idea. So how do we take these things that you learn on the playing field and help people with things that are going on in their actual real life, not necessarily just their athletic life? And that's how the whole thing started. And what we've sort of come up with and are still working on, because as you said earlier, Matt, it's a soft launch, is a consumer-facing digital media company that has daily content that is inspirational sports stories and personal empowerment stuff, uh, mind, body, spirit. So there's also fitness and nutrition mixed in, but the foundation of it is all about positive mindset. And then on the back end of that are classes that we're going to be offering, kind of like your company, Matt, has the symposiums. We'll be doing sort of the same thing. We're calling ours training camps, game change training camps, Mm -hmm. which are in performance mindset, how to build a great culture around your team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And there's there's nothing... There's nothing really similar like that out there, and there there should be. Yeah. No, there's 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 like little like the, you'll find a nonprofit here or there that does something like this. Sure. Um, but not a full on media company. Who's? I mean, our goal is to be in the long run is to own the media space for inspirational sports. So you'll go to Barstool if you're a frat boy and you like looking at pictures of semi nude girls while you get a little bit of sports. And you'll come to us for more of the inspirational sports stuff. So we're, you know, completely defining ourselves different from what most sports sites are, which is typically just fan base, like, and, you know, games that are coming up or how, you know, whatever. They're talking about the passive experience of watching other people play. Right. Whereas in our it's active participants. And, and, you know, Matt, you said earlier that you're an athlete. And I was, after I was finished laughing, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> he is an athlete. And so am I. We're all athletes. I identify anybody as an athlete who plays, right? So you could be a 65-year-old gal who's still running 5Ks or 10Ks or marathons. Mm-hmm. You're an athlete. Yeah. You can, I play pickup soccer until I tore my Achilles tendon. And so now I'm not an athlete for uh, Paul. Well, Paul plays golf like you do, uh, Matt. He's a former mm-hmm. athlete, still an athlete because he plays golf. So yeah. anybody who plays from high school student athletes all the way up to people who are, you know, senior citizens, mm-hmm. they're playing their athletes. Yeah, and that's what I think game change kind of applies to. It's not just the the hardcore, you know, I'm trying to become a professional athlete. It's people who who have that mentality. You might not even be playing anymore. Right. Right. So even reading through the articles, I know you wanna you wanna mention a few of those of those stories, which I think are are I mean, I love talking about that stuff. Once again, I try and impart that to our uh, my coworkers and our staff and I just don't think they're listening. <laughs> so just send them a link to game change from now. But like, I'll read a football story and I've never played football, but I'll, I'll glean so much of that and apply it to everything all the way down to what we're doing with pipeline artists and symposium and business strategy or creative strategy. And yeah, that's, that's one thing that I don't think is hammered home enough. The crossover between different I don't want to call them industries, but arenas. sports is an art yeah. in itself. Yeah, different arenas. My son actually he plays basketball, and that is and that is a sport I love. Uh, as far as like 
watching it. And then I used to play it a little bit with my cousins and stuff, but, but he's, he's committed. And, but I, you know, I'm constantly like giving him like this kind of advice that I give to like my piano students. And it's so funny because like, we're talking crossover mindset and things like that. It's like, I say things to my piano students that I say to my son, which totally applies. And some of my students are also like, they play basketball, they play lacrosse, they play soccer, they play whatever. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just like, there's, there's just so much that applies. Um, As far as like basketball, like I had this one student come to me yesterday and he is, he's this new kid, a new student for me. He's like 10 years old, plays basketball. He has the most horrible touch on piano though. So heavy handed. And I was like, what does your coach tell you when you're playing basketball? He obviously does not tell you like to just grip this ball as hard as possible and just slam it down to the ground. Like that's not how you, how you go. And I was like, same thing with piano. You, you have to let the instrument do the work. You have to let the ball do the work. And it was interesting because as soon as I started saying those kind of things, his, his Hmm. sound, his touch instant change and it was amazing because then he was leaving my house and he was yanking my door my doorknob open I was like dude I was like stop no no this thing is so easy to open touch it feel it out and then and then he was like oh I'm like yeah oh let's not take my handle off thank you very much you couldn't get a doorknob open I don't know who this this young man is, but uh, it's not looking good. Do you have a unique door handle? I'm really curious. No, it's just a round, normal, let's turn it, and it's very easy. <laughs> so easy. And that's the problem. That's the problem. My piano, the 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 action, it's like the, the keys perfectly weighted, uh-huh. worked on by the best technician in like the whole South. And I'm like, do you feel this? Is that easy or what? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> do less, man. Do less. <laughs> <laughs> Jocks. We, we did a podcast interview with a guy who's a neuroscientist from the University of Southern California. And we were talking literally about the same subject. It's called, I forgot the term, it's something like restrained power or, mm-hmm. or I, I can't remember the term. But the idea is that, uh, and he, the, the analogy he gave was sawing a piece of wood. Yeah. You really saw hard. It doesn't really work as well if you just go lightly and just let it, the energy of your. So it's the same thing with, you know, dribbling a basketball or playing the piano yeah, or whatever. That's right. Yeah. There's, there's little, little things you can take and that, that apply in, in different aspects of your life. Jack, you, I, I didn't want to get it wrong earlier. You ran which magazine in the 80s? Well, a bunch of this them. So, so when I when I graduated from college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I ended up working, my second job, I ended up working at this magazine called Exposure, which was in the super- Right, right, right. So actually, Exposure, one of our staff members was was Ryan Murphy, who went on mm-hmm. to be a big, prolific Hollywood producer. Mm-hmm. So getting around a bunch of creative people, it's funny because I grew up in the same town, Mac grew up in San Pedro, which is a, sort of a blue collar town. And it's it, there's a real vibrant art scene here. But in the general population, it's much more of like a sports town, very blue collar. So I didn't really get exposed to creativity or creative people very much. I grew up with guys playing sports. That's what was, uh, that was my thing, which is why I now started a sports media company. But when I got around the folks at Exposure, all the different writers and photographers and just everybody, um, I kind of found my tribe. I like, I realized I loved creativity. I loved storytelling. Yeah. That was sort of my entree into the world. And then I self-published a bunch of magazines 
through the 90s, ran a college media marketing company as a partner with another guy, and which had a magazine that we also published. Later got hired by the Press Telegram to be the director of their magazine division. And so all of it was sort of foundationally based in storytelling. And I, somewhere along the way, thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to do the same thing that, that we're putting on paper up on a screen? And so I just said, well, you know, I want to become a filmmaker. And I really honestly wanted to get into narratives, but I felt like the low-hanging fruit was documentary mm -hmm. because it was so applicable to journalism, which is what I was sort of doing. And that's what I ended up doing. And, it, and I ended up staying in that lane. I never, I never, I still never made a narrative. I was going to mention, we did try it, <laughs> and, but a few projects sort of loosely together, 75% of the way there. And then we'll get there eventually. Oh. Yeah. But we abandoned the last one and then you, it was buttressed right against you uh, launching game change and a game change was a much better idea. Yeah. No, I think our ideas were great. I, I'm, I, you know, it's funny. It's like, I, we were, we were talking about this yesterday. It's like people, I think, who enter into the industry, there's this real funny thing about novice writers who they have this one script and this one idea, and they're terrified that if they send it to Hollywood, quotes, that they're going to steal it. And producers are wait, sitting around waiting to steal your, your, your brilliant idea. And, and the reality is, first of all, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it's probably not good enough for it to happen. And thirdly, even if it were, if that is the only thing you have to offer the world is one idea, right. you're really not a, you're not a screenwriter. That's you're right. not a, um, and so oftentimes you'll put something out there and it might not click for whatever reason. It doesn't mean it's a bad piece of material. It just means it just didn't click with, with the industry at that time. Right. But the, the, the real key is to being prolific and finding a bunch of ideas and mm -hmm. keep, keep writing or keep creating. And so it's, and that's, you know, back to game change. That's sort of what, what is it in sports? Um, I, I love this story that about Kobe Bryant. Kobe, when he was a rookie in his in the playoffs, the final game of the playoffs, the Lakers were in. Two of the guys that were like the star players were out of the game. One was injured, the other got kicked out for getting in the fight. And Kobe at this time was a rookie, so he really wasn't the star. But the ball ended up in his hands at the end of the game because he um, there was the other guys were gone, and he shot like four or five air balls in the last three four minutes of the game plus overtime. And the Lakers lost and they were out of the playoffs. Season's over. And in the locker room, they asked him, they said, what happened? And they expected this big emotional breakdown, right? Because he had just lost their game. And he said, shoot or shoot. They just didn't go in. And I think the same, the analogy for, for screenwriters is writers write. And not every script you sell, writer is going to be sold, right? And if you stop because you didn't sell one, then you're really not a writer. you got to just keep going. And that's the lesson you can take from somebody like Kobe Bryant is, you're not always going to make a shot, but that doesn't mean you stop shooting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I grew up in the, the Kobe Bryant era, right? Me too. <laughs> well, you're you're younger than me, slightly. Not that much. Yeah. Right. Well, you you remember that that I span love at Kobe. least. Yes. Yeah. And people think, and they apply this to screenwriting a lot too, where where they'll say, "Well, this person just has natural talent." Publishing too, they'll say, "Well, this writer is just naturally talented. They're a natural yeah. storyteller." And no one's a natural anything. If you're a really good storyteller, then you had the childhood or, or the teenagehood that established a proper base for that, maybe. But you know, the only difference in sports is you come, you might be born six foot five, but it doesn't mean you have natural talent, or else True. every six foot five, seven foot person would be an NBA player, and they're not, right? Mm -hmm. So what they don't take into consideration all the time, and they should, is that someone like Kobe Bryant put in the work. Yes. Yeah. I mean, 
He was the first one in, last one out. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you the second part of that story. So it's a really great segue. That night when the Lakers flew home from Utah and they landed, it was like midnight or after midnight. And obviously all the players got in their cars and went home and went to sleep. Kobe literally drove to a high school gym that he had the keys to and went back to work and mm -hmm. shot. Yeah. And so you're right, Matt. It's like he became Kobe because he put in the work. So again, back to the screenwriting analogy, if you write a script that's not as good as you thought it was and you get back notes that are really kind of disappointing, maybe um, rather than just pouting about it, you got to go, well, I've got to work on my craft. I'm, I, this thing isn't at the level that I thought it was. And if I don't put in the work, I'm never going to get there. It's not going to mm -hmm. just magically because I'm this brilliant. And mm -hmm. I think you're right, Matt. Some people think of others. Oh, they're just natural storytellers. So first can do it. And unfortunately, there's also people who think about that out of themselves. So they just, they fall in love with everything that they do. <laughs> yeah. They think it's the mm -hmm. most brilliant thing that has been and ever given gifted to mankind. Yeah. And the reality is you got to do the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can get lured by success too. Like you get one successful moment, you know, you win one big game or something and you kind of fall back on your haunches. I think sometimes when you really need to keep the foot on the pedal. And what's interesting, incidentally, that I was, we were launching pipeline artists around the same, pretty much exactly the same time as you were starting to lay the foundation for game change. And it's just, it's interesting how we, uh, I don't think we stole each other's ideas, but we're basically doing the same thing because yeah. <laughs> I, I felt like there was a void in, uh, back what I was saying about screenwriting, a void in, in our space with, I want to say inspiration, but there's not a lot of Kobe stories floating around out there that people right. can readily read about. Right. They just read about people saying, oh, this person sold a spec. This person got their film produced. Right. This person won a big film festival. And that gets a little demoralizing, strangely. You're happy. I would think most of those people are happy for those other creators, but it does get a lot. It does kind of prod you a little bit to where you're thinking, well, how come them and not me? But they don't see the story behind the story. Right. And how that spec got sold and how many yeah. specs didn't get sold that that writer wrote for 10 years. And those are the types of stories that need to have a more prolific me method of distribution. Right. And I think it's the same thing with sports. So yeah. in the stories that are going to be going on game change, the interviews and the, and the different articles that you all are rolling out, is there going to be a focus on, on the failure side of things? Oh, absolutely. So the other thing we didn't mention is we also launched the company with the book that Paul and I wrote called Through the Tunnel. Mm -hmm. And there's a chapter in the book called Challenges Are Good. Mm -hmm. And it really just comes down to a very simple idea is there is no growth without adversity. Yes. You don't grow as a human being unless you've gone through. When things are going great, you are not growing. It's great. Enjoy it. Love it. Live it. I mean, be in that moment. Enjoy those great times. But there are going to be tough times in your life. And with those tough times, that's when you learn and that's when you grow. And, and it's the same thing with you know, in any industry, it could, you know, we're talking about sports and entertainment, but it could be any industry. And to your point, Matt, when we see the, when we see that glorious moment, we don't see all the pain and suffering that went into it. And I think it's really great that you guys are doing what you're doing because writing is a lonely experience, right? Yeah. And so uh, inspiration from others is, I think, really much needed. Athletes are put up on a stage. So maybe you see their story a little bit more, whereas mm -hmm. writers, unlike maybe actors would be the analogy for athletes. But yeah. you're in the background and, and, and people don't see you, so they don't know your story. And, and oftentimes those are just as compelling stories as the people that are up on the stage. 
Totally. Right. So what would you say to someone, a young person who is, you know, they, they know the failure stories, right? They know, they know all these things, but they're still like super hard on themselves or they still have um, so much self doubt. And, and, but at the same time, like it's crippling them to the point that they don't even want to put in the work. Cause it's like, well, why bother? Because I'm never going to get there or something, you know? Right. I think your fellow Texan, Dr. Brené Brown. Yeah, I know. know, I know is courage is vulnerability, right? Yeah. So uh, if you don't try, you're not going to succeed and you are going to fail and you have to muster up the courage to allow yourself to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And again, writing is a really great analogy for sports because in sports, you go on a, on a court and you play and people see if you suck or if you're great, right? Writing sort of the same thing. It's behind the scenes, but it's really painful to send your script to somebody and wonder if they're going to think how horrible you are or how good you are, whatever. Yeah. And that can become crippling. But the advice I would give to young people or to anybody is if you don't face your fears, you're never going to have that success. You're never going to get there. So you have to just dig in and, 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 and deal with it and realize that that thing that you're so afraid of, that rejection, that pain, whatever, it ends up not being anywhere near as bad you thought as you thought. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the it's the imagined pain that's far worse than the real pain. And I think as you start trying and realizing, hey, this it's kind of mm-hmm. sucked, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And I go, oh, and I've gotten better because I kept trying. One of the things that happens is as you keep trying and as you get better that's when your confidence starts to build in because yeah. you go, Oh, I'm getting better notes now. I'm, I'm this is, I'm, I can see my, I can see the growth coming from this. Yeah. And so it's just, sometimes you just got to dig in and do it. Yeah. Uh, and a follow-up to that though, I, I work with a lot of young people. They, they've all got so many insecurities, which just keep them from like trying to act actually trying. Cause they just, they're just like, Oh, whatever. Are most of the people you work with, is it 50, 50 or do you work with more? Females or more males? I'm just kidding. It's pretty 50-50, actually. You notice that the girls are harder on themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's with the girls, I, yeah, you know, I work with them with music and stuff like that. But it's it's funny how many lessons I spend just getting them to talk to me. Right. Yeah. Just, just, they, they will, they will share with me things they don't share with their moms because I'm like this, this in between kind of person and, and they feel safe. And so they, they tell me all these things, some lessons, they're just like crying, you know, and I'm just like, look, (laughs) I mean, you know, and, and, and so it's, it's great. And I love, I love your company. I love what you're doing and, and what you're going to be doing. And, but I do, I do wonder because like, okay, so we're talking arts, we're talking sports. There is definitely this element of subjectivity versus objectivity that's going on, right? Because, you know, there's a lot more, I would say, objectivity in sports. There is some objectivity in in arts up to a point. Like, sure, when I get a beginner student, voice, piano, writing, whatever, it's pretty, it's, it's like, all right, it's either right or it's wrong. You either played Mm -hmm. your middle C correctly. You played your chord correctly. You sang that note, right. You wrote that sentence correctly. You're using the proper grammar or you didn't. 
Right. right. But then once you get to that point where, okay, we're all in the same sort of more or less even playing field, we've learned everything that's in the box, you know, and now we're, we're going outside of the box. Right. Because, mm-hmm. So in, in the arts, then at that point, it gets a lot more subjective. Whereas, yeah. you know, even when you go pro <laughs> in sports, there's still, you know, a scoreboard that tells you right. whether you want yeah. or not. There's an element of math to it. Yeah. There's yeah. math. I, I would say like, and the, look, it's, for music, it's maybe a little bit harder, but part of it is also you you have to kind of listen to your audience, right? Yeah. Like if you put out three songs and you do it a certain way and nobody's responding, then you do a fourth song and everybody's responding, but you go, God, but I really like those other three songs better. You got to also understand that there is, there is sort of wisdom in the consensus. Yeah. And like easier for screenwriters, right? You send out a script. Let's say you get back notes from somebody that are just reject your, 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 your piece of work. That person can be wrong by the way. Right. But if you get notes from five different people and they're all sort of pinpointing the same problems with your script, you kind of have to realize there's, there's a pattern here and they're right and I'm wrong and I've got to figure this out. And so it's not as easy as sports, but even in sports, like you're, you mentioned scoreboard, that's one thing, but you have a 13 year old uh, son, is he the one that plays basketball? Yes, he is. I'm going to use a hypothetical. Let's say as a 13 year old son, he's having a really good season and now it's time to pick the all-star team mm-hmm. and he doesn't make the all-star team, but his coach, the coach's son might make it. Right. Or some kid whose dad is on the board of directors of the league. <laughs> yes. makes, right. Now you're going, is that kid who made the all-star team really better than my son? Or was there a little bit of inside baseball being played? Right. You know, mm-hmm. Part of the in in crowd of that league, and so even in even in sports, and take that out all the way to the NBA, right? You're on. You have guys who are sitting on the bench who are supremely talented, and they might be thinking, "Well, yeah, because the coach has a relationship with so and so, that guy's starting, and I'm sitting here on the bench." And then, and and they might be actually right because they maybe they get traded to another team, and now all of a sudden they emerge and they blossom as a star. So there's there's nuances in sports as well. I get writers complaining or I see writers complaining all the time about, well, this isn't fair because of nepotism or this isn't fair because this writer knew this other person who got them a gig or this lit agent, you know, uh, did a favor for this writer and then they blew up after that. But what they're not realizing is there's not just subjectivity, I mean, definitely subjectivity, but there's luck and there's timing and all of that exists everywhere, no matter what you're doing. There is no neutral playing field. We we talked about Kobe. So let's talk about Kobe. Something that people probably, some don't know or or forget. His dad was a pro basketball player. Yeah. And they weren't poor either growing up. He had access to. So he had access to basketball from the day he was born, right? Versus let's say a guy like LeBron James, who grew up in a, a single, you know, his single mom household. And didn't have anything. They were couch bouncing for many mm-hmm. years of his you know, young life. So they come from two different places. They both became two of the all-time greats. But there was no nepotism in LeBron James's story when he was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Right. You know, so there were people who recognized his talent and helped nurture him along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to those writers who don't have those connections and don't have the uncle who's in the industry or whatever is... If you keep doing what you're doing and you're good at it, 
they're going to find you, right? Like there's a guy. As long as, long as you're proactive, I'm going to sneak in a disclaimer. As long as you're proactive about it, you, you can't well, go well, back to your cave. It seems obvious to us, but you'd be surprised. Well, right. Well, back to the thing we were talking about earlier about being vulnerable, right? That's part of it is you have to be able to put your stuff out there and be ready for the, for the criticism. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just part of the game. It's pull on your big boy pants. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but if you keep doing what you're doing and you keep getting better at it, the thing flips. I, I mentioned that I worked with Ryan Murphy at exposure magazine. When Ryan was a young writer, there wasn't a bunch of talent agents beating at the door of Exposure Magazine saying, we need to meet this Ryan Murphy kid. <laughs> right. They didn't know who he was. They didn't care, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, now Ryan sets the tone for what he gets from Hollywood because he's proven himself to be a prolific writer, producer, creator, right? So you're going to get there if you're good enough and you keep putting the effort, putting the effort, putting the effort. And you may not get there as fast as the guy who has the uncle in the industry, right? but the guy with the uncle in the industry he may get his break because of the uncle, but then once he's gotten his break, he has to do something with it. Yeah. If he stops, he's going to only be there for so long. And if, or if he is there, he'll always be on the periphery because at the end of the day, only industry thing they care about is they want to create product that's going to sell. Right. And if you have an uncle who happens to get you in the door and your product isn't going to sell, they don't care who your uncle is. Mm-hmm. They need to sell their product. Yep. I look at every TV staffing I mean, there's no real set staffing season anymore. I mean, it's kind of almost almost year round. But uh, whenever that that peak happens, it's almost like the like a like the MLB draft or the NFL draft, right? Yeah. Where right. all these TV writers are out there with all these reps. I'm talking about the already reps writers, although some miraculously get get staffed without having a manager or an agent. But you have this big pool of writers, and they're just they're selecting, you know, first round, second round, essentially, right. essentially, right? And if you don't make it, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean you're not destined to be the next great big showrunner. And I've used the Tom Brady. Everyone's used the Tom Brady example a million times, right? Yeah. What, what round was Tom Brady drafted in? Like the sixth or seventh round. Yeah, it was down there. And sometimes it's it. Those guys who don't even get drafted, but, but, but continue. That are good or have potential. That's that's on the that's on the onus or on the back of partly companies like ours, like Script Pipeline, who is essentially a scout for emerging film and TV writers, right? right? Uh, Someone has to kind of identify your talent and be willing to nurture you or they become your, you know, your formal coach in some way, or they're just your mentor or uh, whatever it might be to bring you to the top. Everyone needs that little bit of assistance of some yeah. sort. Yeah. Sure. And I then later and then later they get criticized for being privileged. But anyway, go <laughs> on. what I would yeah. What I would say to that is also there's another there's another phenomenon that happens with young writers is they want to find that agent or that manager and they're not ready for one because they're not a marketable yeah. writer yet. Right. And so they want to leap leapfrog to the top. And what I would suggest to people who are in that space is things like writers groups, things like your company. You, you can nurture your own talent with people at your own level and, and then keep rising levels until you get to that point where you, you can have a manager or agent. And I think like I, the way I would say it to them is like, let's say you're a 23 year old, just graduated from college, wanted to write, 
and you're not there yet, right? And I would say to them, well, let me, let me ask you a question. Are you going to go hang out with a bunch of 14-year-olds who are uh, in middle school and just now starting to write? And they, are, they gonna, are you going to nurture their talent? Are you going to spend all of your time to bring them up? Are they your peer? You're not, right? You're, you've mm-hmm. got your own thing to do. So similarly, those people above the totem pole on you, it's a harsh reality. They just don't have time for you. They're busy. So right. you can get there on your own. And the way to get there on your own and get that nurturing is find your compadres who are the same boat that you are and rise together. You're not gonna, the, the guy that's not gonna pluck you out from the sky and come yeah. down and get you. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta work your way up. And the best way to get that nurturing is with people who are doing what you're doing. Uh, taking advantage of free resources out there and just reading and learning and and you can get, I don't, I don't think you can get that far, but you know, once you get to the advanced levels, whether it's sports or writing, but you can get a nice foundation with yeah. that, but eventually you're going to have to invest time and money. Yeah. Uh, they're both kind of interchangeable anyway, uh, in your craft that you're, that you're learning. Michelle teaches piano. There's right. no piano players out there that are like, Oh, I want to play, but I'm not going to pay someone to like teach me how to play the piano. Like that sounds absurd, but in writing you have the same, just as absurd in golf or tennis. Like, of course you're yeah. going to have to pay for lessons and a coach right. and yeah, to some extent, right. In varying yeah. degrees. Uh, in writing, you don't have that mentality as much. It's like, oh, it's just writing. Anybody can right. do it. I just have to like, you know, teach myself. That mode of instruction, they're not, a lot of people aren't quite grasping either as much as they do, I think, in, in the world of sports or music for that matter, I think. I remember when I, I took an extension course at UCLA in producing because I wanted to, again, mm-hmm. the films. and I remember, I still remember this guy at the top, uh, the class, he asked, this was back in the day when Variety was, you know, there wasn't digital. It was all print, right? Yeah. So he said, how many of you subscribe to Variety? Not one hand went up, right? He goes, you all want to be producers and you're not subscribing to Variety? And, you know, somebody goes, well, it's 180 bucks, you know? And <laughs> he was like, dude, if you're not going to want to invest in yourself, why do you think other people are going to want to invest in mm-hmm. you? Right. And so that is part of it is you're investing your time and sometimes it's your money. And if you don't want to invest your money, if you don't think that's fair or worth it or whatever, then I honestly don't think you're you're really truly serious about what you're what you're trying to accomplish. Because it, again, if you're not willing to invest in yourself, why would other people invest in you? Well, time is money too. You're investing time your time. So more than more, money. more right. Yeah. It's more valuable than actual money. Yeah. When, yeah. when you get older like us, that's when you realize time is well, more. Yeah. Is the, but like, yeah, the like, so a service like yours, if, I don't know what you, you guys charge for notes, but if you're not willing to pay for that, that means you don't really truly believe that you're good enough because you're not even willing to put up the money to find out if you're good enough. And, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's just, I think it's, it's, a, it's, there's a lot of, I think the difference though, between sports and, and writing and the arts is there is a structure to sports where if you played sports as a kid, you always did have a coach. You all, and then you yeah. work your way up to high school, more coaches as for writers and in the arts, you, you don't necessarily have that unless you go out and seek it. Right. Piano is a, an interesting sort of hybrid example of that. But um, so maybe they're not trained to have coaches mm-hmm. like athletes are, but ultimately you have to find the help wherever you can get it and however you can get it, including paying for it sometimes. Yeah. My approach has always sort of been like, I want to run this company almost like a, a company discovering and developing athletes might be run. Yeah. 
again, because the two totally different things, but there, there's not only so much uh, parallels, but the process is, is actually very similar. You're just taking out the physicality of it. Right. Right. Uh, for the most part, I hurt my shoulder because I've been sitting at a computer for a week. So I, don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. could, I could go to the gym and play golf and carry. I would push back on that physicality. Point. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and I finally get injured because I, because of not doing anything. That's it. I just want to complain about my. Oh, okay. My well, no, shoulder. I was going to say physicality for, for me, piano is a very physical thing. Like it's, it's really physical. Like if I, and you know, I, I tell, I tell my more advanced students this because sometimes they're, you just kind of start forgetting about your body sometimes when you're, when you're playing an instrument, but I'm like, think about how you would play if you didn't have legs. Right. Like if your legs weren't there, the balance would be off. Where's your core like strength coming from? Like it's all coming from your feet. Your feet are on the ground. There is, there's all this energy that's flowing. And especially when you're playing big, huge pieces. I mean, I play like stuff like from Rachmaninoff and Prokofiev and, and all these, these men who had these gigantic hands and so much power and I can do the same thing. But why? Because I'm using my whole body in, in the right way. There's, there's definitely a physicality to, especially music. Yeah. I, mean, I was going to mention the physicality in the, the arts and creativity a thousand percent applies to health and nutrition. And wow. the, the disconnect that I think a lot of writers have too, between what they're consuming and their, their mode of exercise is, has such a great influence on not just their motivation to write, uh, but their clear-headedness, their creativity, uh, I mean, their storytelling creativity, all that. And that's one thing where I uh, I think Jack and I, we can yeah. do a hybrid sort of <laughs> panel or something on about the importance of health and nutrition in sports and mental clarity. Yeah. And there's also the whole uh, mindfulness movement, right? So oh, yeah. it's not a thing when we were young, but um, having that clear head, obviously you're going to be able to create better and you're going to have more stamina and all those different things that you do need. So hundred percent. And your, your partner, Paul McDonald talks about that in his book, right? Through the tunnel. Yeah. There's, 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 well, the, the book is kind of like a, almost like a playbook for life and various yeah. aspects of it, but we do touch on that. And um, there's a thing, you know, for athletes called getting in the zone, right? You'll see it. Like Steph Curry is a great example of that. Sometimes he'll just like get the ball, shoot it. And it's in get the ball, shoot it, and it's in. And you can tell he's not even thinking. He's just getting the mm-hmm. ball, and the ball goes in the bounds. And um, that's, that's being in a highly meditated state because you're just, you're just flowing. You're not thinking. Yeah. And so right. from a creative perspective, same thing. If you sit down and written sometimes, it just flows out of you. You cannot type fast enough, right? And that's, that's something that you as a, uh, as a writer can work on and being in better shape and doing meditation and all those things can really help. Uh, I, and I, it's funny, I have to disclaimer, I'm not a person who really practices meditation very often. So this is all stuff that uh, I'm learning from other people. And part of our growth process with the company is, what I love about it is all these things that we're helping other people learn, I say 75% of it, I'm learning too. Like I mm-hmm. do not have out, not, not even, well, Matt knows me, like not even close, right? Yeah. So, um, but anyways, I digress. But yeah, back to health and meditation and all that. It, it's, it's, it's something that I would encourage everybody to try and start working on. 
for sure. It's funny. In one of the other podcasts that I produce, I do not host it, but I produce it at the University of Texas. It features all these faculty across campus and and we had this one faculty member and he does really focus on mindfulness training in classrooms and things like that and, you know, how to manage stress. And, you know, he, he used to work with K through 12 basically in Austin ISD. And so then, and then he got hired at UT to do the same thing, but with college students. Yeah. Which is, which is great because I mean, Mm -hmm. when I was a teaching assistant at UT too, it's like, you know, I see all these students, they're so stressed, like all the time. I'm like, how are you supposed to write papers for me? How are you supposed to do anything? Yeah. When you're totally stressed out. And so uh, you're totally stressed out. Yeah, and it, and it's funny because like like you were saying, yeah, you don't practice meditation and things like that. I suck at it. I preach it all the time and I definitely do not practice what I preach. But I, you know, and I see it in my son. I mean, just to, to keep going back to him cuz he's my my one athlete in this house and <laughs> he's he's he gets so stressed out when he doesn't make the shot. He's so down on himself, so hard. Wow. You know, and and his his coach uh you know, tells him, you know, you have to get out of your headspace. You have to just, you know, you need to breathe. You, you need to, to stay cool, stay, stay calm. Right. Well, it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned the University of Texas. So one of our advisors is a, 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 a USC neuroscientist. I mentioned him earlier. His name's Glenn Fox. Yeah. He actually teaches a class at USC uh, on performance mindset. The whole idea of it is to help people become as successful as they possibly can be. But the way you get there is interesting because the traditional model is you put your head down, you knock over a wall, you work, you yeah. will it, you do all those things. That is not at all what, what Glenn teaches in his class. Um, one of the big things that he uh, that, that he's actually studied as a scientist is gratitude, yeah. right? So like as an example with your son, one of the things that um, we, we would tell him is when he's out on the court, rather than worrying about missing the shot, like remember the fact that you get to play, you're on a team, you get to hang out with your friends, you get your parents are there watching. It's like, you know, granted your son's 13 years old. So these are hard concepts for a 13 year old kid to really get their head around. But it is a huge thing is to understand that. There's a great story about Coco Goff, who was a tennis player. And she was, when this is, she's 15. So mm-hmm. not much older than your son. And she mm-hmm. almost quit tennis. And the reason she almost quit tennis was because she was a super high achiever. And with that high achievement came a lot of expectation. And all of a sudden, what was a joy for her to play tennis became a burden because she didn't know if she was going to be able to meet these expectations. Yeah. And her response to it, which she, I don't know how, who counseled her, but was gratitude because she went back to the idea of, I get to play tennis. I love playing tennis. Yeah. That was what kind of pulled her out of that slump. And it's really interesting, right after she pulled out of that slump is when she really emerged on the world stage. Mm-hmm. It was in the 2019 Wimbledon. She beat Venus Williams, yeah. who was her idol, right, in the first round of the tournament. And now everybody knew who Coco Goff was. A year earlier, she almost quit. But it was that gratitude. And the really telling thing of that story is, which makes me a big fan of hers, is when that match was over, she went over to Venus Williams. They shook hands and they were walking back to their seats. And then she stopped and pulled Venus back in. And said thank you to her. And it, she was because everything Venus had done to uh, create a path for Coco, she, even as a 15-year-old, recognized and wanted to show her gratitude. Yeah. So gratitude, it's, it's, you know, it's something I'm just, again, learning about myself. But if, if you're looking at your life 
and you want to really find maybe one of your best paths to joy, gratitude's a great place to start because most of us, we focus on what we don't have and what we want yeah. and not what we do have. And mm-hmm. then back to, you know, we've been talking about writers, the idea that you get to write, that you have the ability to be creative. And especially if you are a person who now is a working writer, you get to be creative for a living. Like how cool is that? There's nothing cooler if you're a creative person and you have to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. That gratitude is, is, is also like, I've, I've heard that harped here at in UT athletics too, because, um, I was talking to one of the athletics professors. She's amazing. And she's, she's, she's just so sunny faced and just like always bubbly. And she works with all these athletes and she's just like, she preaches gratitude. And she says, that is what gets me through every day. got me through the pandemic, through, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) through, through everything. And, and you can really see the difference between, you know, the athletes that she works with and some other athletes maybe who are who are doing that performance mindset the old school way right like (laughs) driving your head through a wall kind of thing well that's the thing it's it what it leads to is letting go and by letting go i mean you still have to put the work in and the practice and training and all that but at some point you kind of have to let your your sort of subconscious take over i guess it's called i've never really figured out the actual definition of uh, being in the zone, but I know it when I'm in it and I know it, yeah. I know it exists for writing too. Cause I know that I've sat down at the computer back in my training writing days when it would just be like a day where it's just like type, 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 type. Right. And it's just pouring out of you. Yeah. I was talking to Jack about this yesterday, actually, um, less than, less than 24 hours ago. How it's amazing that even LeBron and, and Brady and, all these professionals can't will themselves to get into that, like that no. Nirvana esque moment of perfection every day. You know, again, I, I don't have the perfect answer of how do you get yourself there on a regular basis. If I did, then, you know, by the way, <laughs> I wouldn't even need to start game change. I'm already mm-hmm. very rich. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, I think the other part of it is, and this is back to that Kobe story when he was shooting all those air balls in that playoff game, you cannot be married to the outcome. What mm-hmm. happens is, again, going back to screenwriting, you write a script and you say to myself, this is the script that's going to get me into Hollywood. And it, it ha- and you put all your eggs in that basket and it has to happen. And you can't do that. You're putting undue pressure on yourself. And if it doesn't happen, then what? So when you're in, a, in any endeavor, you cannot be married to the outcome. You have to be willing to accept whatever happens and know that whatever happens, it'll be okay. And maybe it's meant to be. Like, again, going back to Kobe, if Kobe makes some of those shots, maybe the trajectory of his career is different because maybe he doesn't then learn that you have to go back to work. Maybe he does rest on his laurels a little bit. You know, he's 19 years old at this time. So he's not, you know, Mm -hmm. he's got probably a better mindset than most people as a 19 year old, but he's still 19. And maybe if he had too much success too early, he would have become immature Mm -hmm. and in 30 not become the great Kobe Bryant that we know, right? So my point is, sometimes you think that that negative thing that happened to you um, is the worst thing in the world. Oftentimes it's actually the best thing in the world because it sends you into a different trajectory that is much better than if you had had that success you thought you were gonna want it. I've, I've heard the same story, I hear it every year. 
the writer who says like, well, I was going to give up, but I figured like, well, let me write one more script. And then that's the script that ends up hitting our winner from a couple of years ago uh, said the same thing. Um, it's like, well, we'll give it one more shot. <laughs> Sends out the script wins or he places as a finalist with us. And um, a month later, he sells that spec for seven figures. Right. And now he's, now he's set, right? You know what my, my, for the time my thought of that was? Yeah. I think that person actually would have written another script. Yeah. They they probably. <laughs> at the point, which is good, actually. Yeah, that's, yeah. That is the point, is you keep trying. So sometimes you go, okay, this is it. This is the last one. But that's just because you're tired and we all yeah. get tired. Yeah. Like we have, that's another thing that, you know, you, you know, you guys, we talked about was young people and their perfectionism. Yeah. We have to be kind to ourselves. We are going to fail and we have to be okay with that and allow ourselves to and not mm-hmm. beat ourselves up. So, yeah, I think that this is my last script thing. I think in their mind it was, but I'll bet you it, they probably thought that three scripts probably, before too. Probably. And yeah. You know, no. And, and I, I completely relate to that because it's like this, I'm an all or nothing kind of person and which makes it very hard to live with me, like <laughs> admittedly. So I'm either going to throw myself into writing, throw myself into whatever, right. write 8,000 words a day, or I'm not. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just going to like, put the laptop away and I'm like, I'm never writing it. I think I've done this like a dozen times in my life. Like no joke. Uh, at least a dozen times, you know, just over and over and over again. I just, I let myself get sucked into this mm-hmm. mindset of defeat. And again, this, this gratitude concept resonates with me because I have never really thought of it that way. It's like, I should be thankful that I get to write, that I have this ability to make stories, to write narratives, to, you know, generate worlds. It is a blessing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's an interesting thought because I, I really have never looked at it that way before. You have to learn to learn to live in this sort of like almost self-contained ecosystem. And that's where, you know, the zone is within there, right? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get super philosophical. Let's all do Ayu Ayu Hasqua together, and we can discuss this later. Ayu Hasqua? Did I pronounce it wrong? I can pronounce it wrong. You know, when you the drug and you kind of like. Uh huh. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna try it out before I play golf. Let's see how it goes. You totally should, dude. I Why shot not? a 63. No, you shot a uh, 112, and you walked off the course without pants. But you Come walked on. off there. And loving it. But I'm out there and I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. I, I play jazz and when I when I perform uh on stage, it's always better with tequila or vodka or something. Because you get out of your you get you get out of your own way. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and I wish I could do that without aid of, you know, hard liquor, but but I am a perfectionist, so, or an, so or an like, alcoholic. I have to kill that side. Yeah, yeah. or an alcoholic, either way. Well, the thing about it is, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's why people drink and do drugs. It's it, it breaks down in inhibitions, right? You're drunk oh, right wow. now, aren't you, Michelle? Mm, no, no. Sadly, we should do a drunk episode. That's we yeah. could. Someone will complain about that. <laughs> Well, okay. uh, so I got through my first bullet point and that's the episode. <laughs> Perfect. I think I, that was like, great. I couldn't see that one coming. Uh, <laughs> well, look through the tunnel, Paul McDonald, it is game change, uh, game changes first publication. Right. Yeah. Uh, we didn't touch upon that about the, uh, the fact that you guys have uh, books lined up for the future. I'm sure too. Yeah. 
So I, I, I helped Paul write that book. So I've got my mm-hmm. name in small. Front of the book. I'm sorry, co-written by Jack Barrick. Yeah. So, but it's, it is part of our model is we're going to help athletes tell their life story because again, you can draw great inspiration and learn great life lessons from them. So it kind of fits the model of our company. And I'm now working on a book with a guy named Mark Patterson who played in the NFL for four or five years, mm-hmm. but his claim to fame is he is, I think the only NFL player to have climbed the seven summits, including Mount Everest. Mm. Wow. His climb of Mount Everest and how it reflect, reflects on the rest of his life. So it's cool. Like, yeah. Again, gratitude. I get to do this, which is, you know, as a kid growing up, I just loved sports. It's funny because Paul McDonald was somebody I watched on TV and now he's my business partner. Yeah. Don't forget that. I, I love the fact that I get to hang out with these really premier athletes who've done really great things in their lives. And, you know, I, I didn't get past high school sports, but yet now they're in some ways my peers, you know, so it's, yeah. it's cool. I, I'm a kid in a candy store with this. I really am. Once Brady retires, he's going to do the eight summits. Yeah, he probably will. He, He'll uh, make another summit and then scale it. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, like, I, he seems like a pretty together guy. So I don't think it's uh, I don't think in his case, it's, it's a negative thing. No. Honestly, sometimes, no, really, they can't be negative things. It's, you're always chasing the trophy. Right. You always have that next accomplishment and you're never happy and you're never satisfied. And yeah. sometimes those accomplishments mask the um, insecurity or unhappiness that is going on inside. Wow. It's like you're speaking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I say that I say that in a humorous way, but it's kind of true. I I say that every new thing, every new accomplishment, it just feels like I'm going up on a downward escalator. Right. Yeah, and right. so it's like every new step up is really is my new low now, and yeah, it's it really sucks. Yeah. Well, I'm not a psychologist, so <laughs> I'm sure your psychologist will help you more than I would. But I think it's really about the why, like not why you. Well, there's a lot of whys. Why do you feel that way? But also like, why do you, why do you want to be a creator? And like getting back gratitude, going back to gratitude is like, if you can kind of grasp the process as, as if the process is what you love and, yeah. and focus on the process, yeah. then the outcome doesn't really matter. Right. The greatest coaches will tell you that they almost never talk about winning a game. They talk about the process and if you love the process and it becomes about the process, then the outcome is irrelevant. And, and the irony of it is oftentimes you end up getting a great outcome because you're so focused on the process that the outcome is, is a natural. Yeah. But then what if the outcome is good and it still doesn't make you go, woohoo. Well, <laughs> that's guaranteed because that's guaranteed. It's not the outcome that you're chasing. I see, see that's the, you're not chasing the outcome. You're chasing the process. Right. No, I live for the process. Even if you chase the outcome, no one's ever, maybe some people are satisfied. I'm never satisfied at all. I could go no. out, win the open championship next week. I'm not playing it. But if I was. That's because you're an Aries like me, Matt. Right. What's wrong with us? I don't, I, I don't know. This is, this is, yeah. a, this is another Maniacs. discussion for another time. Definitely. <laughs> We've been talking about Kobe a lot. When Kobe retired, the last thing he said on his retirement from, uh, ceremony was the 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 journey is the dream getting up in the morning and doing the work that is yeah. that is the dream the dream's not the trophy it's it's the process so i think what happens is we get into these things because we want to win we want to like sell a script we want it to be produced we want it to win academy awards or whatever whatever our goals are for those for our work 
And we forget that the work itself is what we, what is we, the what reward. We, yeah. 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 Look, I'm telling you this thing, like with absolute certitude and we all <sighs> fall into your trap, which is gosh, yeah. that's all fine and dandy, but God, I really like that trophy, you know? I mean, if it's, I can bookend it with this, if any, if this is any consolation, if you're a screenwriter and your dream is to win an Oscar, people are going to care about you winning that Oscar for like a day. And then they're going to forget yeah. who you are, which right. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's true. Right. It's, yeah. So you get that one shiny moment on stage where everybody's like clapping yeah. and then it's over. Right. Who won the 1998 NBA finals? I don't know. No, but if, you, if it was 1999 <laughs> right now, you'd probably remember, but we've forgotten about it. Right. It has to mean something to you personally. You can't I be doing it for early onset Alzheimer's, so I probably wouldn't. <laughs> That's another story for another day. I don't even know who won last year. It's okay. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation, Jack. Thank you yes. for taking the time. Join us again one day. One day. If we're really starved okay. for content. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we're doing Jack again? Well, dude, yeah. the, the why Matt's golf game is a metaphor for the entertainment industry. Oh, I would love to do that. It'll be a four-hour multi-part. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. Everybody. I get to be on your podcast too next, right? Yeah, we're going to totally find a way to make that work. We'll, have, we'll come on and talk about golf. I'd love to talk about golf. Well, I, let me do something important in golf first, like win something, and then I'll come yeah, on. Yeah, go chase that it. trophy I just said on, on the podcast. Yeah, don't <laughs> chase trophies. Forget no. everything I said on, on air. Now we're not recording anymore, right? Yeah. Get right. Don't, <laughs> don't chase trophies. No, this but, is going to be in the outtakes for sure. <laughs> yeah. Trophy required to be on our podcast, however. All right. All right. I'll see you.